Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he couldn't escape notice, but a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and she bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then Jesus said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. They brought to Jesus a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. Jesus took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat, and he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and the man spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The Gospel of the Lord. I want to talk more this morning about the first episode in this gospel reading than that second one. The fingers in the ears, the spitting and the tongue touching are fascinating, but a little gross. And I learned a new kind of different way to think about that first episode, that moment between Jesus and this woman who comes looking for help for her daughter who's sick. That one has always been a difficult story to square for me, maybe for you too. This story where Jesus treats this desperate mother with a sick child so coldly, so callously, so harshly in her time of deep need. She approaches Jesus. She asks for his help. She falls down before him, and he calls her a dog. Since she's not a Jew, one of the chosen ones for whom Jesus was sent, it seems, he says to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. In other words, let the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let God's chosen ones get what's theirs. I came first for the Jews, not The Gentiles, wait your turn. Let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. 
So bear with me if this is as hard for you to imagine as it used to be for me, but I think Jesus might have been saying something like, Hebrew lives matter. Let the children be fed first. It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Again, I get it. This can be a hard word to hear from and about Jesus. It's a difficult thing to imagine he would think or say or do, but I recently learned to wonder differently about this woman who suffers this harshness at the hands of Jesus today and the circumstances that brought them together. First, it's worth knowing that Jesus is in this region of Tyre, which was a port city on the coast of the Mediterranean. Tyre was a place of wealth and prestige, castles perhaps, that is mentioned several times throughout Scripture, all the way back in the Old Testament. It's a place that's repeatedly being called out by prophets like Isaiah for stuff like wickedness, for excess, for idolatry, and the like. And Jesus is there, looking very specifically not to be bothered. The story tells us that. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he was there, it says. But in walks, in strolls, in waltzes, in barges, perhaps, this woman interrupting whatever else Jesus may have been up to. So she wasn't just any woman either. She was local to the region of Tyre, a Greek-speaking, Syrophoenician-flavored woman, it says. Maybe, probably, of the wealthy, upper-class, more highly esteemed sort, who'd heard about this Jesus of Nazareth from out in the sticks and pushed her way into his presence with all of her privilege and all of her presumption because she wanted, she needed his help. Mark's gospel never gives this woman a name, but with all due respect to my aunt and the other Karens I know and love, had Mark written his gospel story in the 21st century, this woman would have fit the description. With all that history, with all that context, if the story said that Karen from Beverly Hills had interrupted Jesus... It's easier to see. It's easier to picture, imagine, and understand where Jesus might be coming from and why he responds to her the way that he does. And I love him for that. My bias and my inclination is to err on the side of sympathy for the way women are portrayed in Scripture because their status in the first century was pretty grim, generally speaking. But relatively speaking, here, perhaps, that wasn't always necessarily the case. There's a foul ball for her. Oh. Whoa, whoa. What was that that adult lady doing to that little gal? She took the ball. Juan Miranda tried to give it to the little gal. And she took it from her. Took it right from her. And that was last Friday. Beyond wrong. Oh, bless her heart. We sent a ball down, one of our fine 
technicians there that works on our crew in Houston. What if the woman in this story this morning was like some lady who steals a baseball from a kid at the ballpark? Jesus would have had something to say to her, wouldn't he? What if she was like those rich folks who in the earlier days of this pandemic, you might remember, made vaccine tourism a thing? Because they used their wealth to charter planes and to fly wherever they wanted to go to get their hands on the vaccine long before they fit the demographic descriptions by the CDC for who was allowed to or supposed to get the thing. What if she was like one of those Hollywood moms who committed all that fraud in the college admissions scandal a few years ago? What if she was just like anyone of the too many in the 21st century viral videos that go around who have so naively, ignorantly, arrogantly asserted their privilege, racial privilege, economic privilege, social capital, whatever, to get their way at the expense of somebody else. When we consider this woman and this story in that kind of light, Jesus, then, is just doing what Jesus always does. Standing up for the last and for the least. Standing up to the powers that be. Questioning authority, challenging the status quo, lifting up the lowly, scattering the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, sending the rich away empty, all the things the prophets promised the Son of God would do and be about. And all the things, too, that his own mother sung about and hoped for when she first heard he was coming into the world. He was doing, too, all the things we're called to do and all the things we're called to be if we want to follow him more closely. And I think we're called, too, to recognize if and when or how we might be more like that woman than we can always see. That's hard to admit. In all of this, I think God is calling us to humility To recognize, like that woman from Tyre did, that each of us requires the grace and the mercy that comes from Jesus, that not one of us is any more or less deserving of the loving forgiveness we receive at the hands of our Savior. And it seems to me that Jesus acknowledges this woman's humanity by knocking her down a peg or two and helping her to see it for herself. Once she sees her own humble, hungry need for the grace that comes from Jesus, then she's able to fully receive it. Then she's blessed and better because of it. And so is her daughter. It's true for Jesus that Hebrew lives mattered. He was one of those Hebrews himself. One of those who is always being persecuted, always being displaced, always being disenfranchised, and more. It's true, too, that Jesus showed up for the sake of the world. But Jesus knew 
that in order to save the real-time suffering of the poor and the persecuted, the displaced and the disenfranchised, he needed to change the real-time hearts and lives of those in power, of those with the privilege, and certainly of those who were doing the persecuting. He spent his days calling them to humility. His ministry was all about calling them to be more generous, calling them to repentance. He gave his life, calling them to change and to be changed and calling them to do their part to do differently, to transform the world and to bring the kingdom to earth here and now as it is in heaven. And he's calling each of us, all of us, to do the same. Amen.